I'm Brandon Zerby and welcome to the Miles Sciences Weekly Podcast, where I bring you topics each week in fitness, nutrition, sleep, cognition, finance, and minimalism to help you become healthy and happier. This week I'm covering, should you nap regularly? Here's why I don't. Let's get into it. There are some people who nap in response to sleep loss. This is called replacement napping. If you only got four hours of sleep last night, then you may nap to replace that loss. That might not work, but more on that later. There are other people who nap to prepare for sleep loss. This is called prophylactic napping. If you know you're only going to get four hours of sleep, so you nap in preparation for that loss. That might work, but again, more on that later. And there are others who nap for enjoyment. This is called appetite of napping. If you nap because you have absolutely nothing better going on in your life, then you're lazy. (laughs) Just kidding. I'm 30, so I don't judge people anymore. (laughs) Nap away. But no matter your reason, does regular napping have evidence-based benefits? What is the optimal nap duration and time of day? And why don't I nap? If you look into the studies researching napping, you'll see a lot of confusing associations. Daytime napping is associated with increased obesity or type 2 diabetes or even increased inflammation. Oppositely, you'll see studies showing that daytime napping can facilitate successful aging by preventing disease and increasing cognitive function. As I've mentioned before, these association studies are deceiving because the direction of the relationship isn't always understood. Does napping lead to diabetes, obesity, and chronic inflammation? Or do people with diabetes, obesity, and chronic inflammation nap more in response? You just don't know until you perform and analyze intervention-based studies. To which, this is much more difficult, but here are the benefits I did find. Napping does appear to improve mood and subjective levels of happiness and fatigue, and it can be particularly beneficial to performance on tasks such as addition, logical reasoning, reaction time, and symbol recognition. In one study, they had participants either take a 90-minute daytime nap or an equal interval of quiet wakefulness. They then had all the participants study a list of words, green words to remember, and red words to forget. After that, they quizzed the participants on these words and found that the recently napped participants had improved episodic memory retention. But these longer naps, sleeping for 30 minutes or longer, produced sleep inertia, making nap benefits obvious only after a delay. So what does your sleep architecture look like and what is this thing called sleep inertia? Sleep inertia is characterized by a reduction in the ability to think and perform upon awakening due to sleep. It's that feeling of confusion and grogginess where you can't even remember what day or time it is. Is it my birthday again? Nope. But sleep inertia is associated with longer naps as it typically is thought to result from awakening from slow wave sleep. For example, a 10-minute nap for most won't show any sleep inertia effects, while a 30-minute nap will. This is because the average sleep cycle is 90 minutes long, and over those first 30 minutes, you'll slowly dive from a state of wakefulness into REM sleep, and then NREM stage 1 to NREM stage 2, all the way down to deep NREM stage 3 and 4 sleep. And the further you fall into this deep sleep cycle, the more inertia you'll feel upon awakening. That's why it's best to stick to shorter naps, 20 minutes or less, so that sleep inertia is suppressed or wait until the full sleep cycle completes around the 90 minute mark. Now that we understand our sleep architecture, what is the optimal nap time and duration? In one study that's results appear to agree with many other studies, a mid-afternoon nap was more recuperative than a nap taken at any other time during the day. For example, at early morning, at noon, and at early evening. This mid-afternoon naps occurred between 1 and 4 p.m. where your circadian rhythm naturally raises your sleepiness. You'll feel the sleepiness even if you skip lunch or had adequate sleep the night before. It's code built into your system, and why car accidents rise during this period while your alertness drops. 
this one to four time frame has been deemed the sleep gate. Open the sleep gate! Napping during this time improves sleep efficiency, shortens sleep latency, and produces greater amounts of slow wave deep sleep, if you nap long enough beyond that 30 minute mark. Outside of this period, napping not only may have less benefits, but it could have negative side effects. So if you miss the golden sleep gate, you'll want to avoid the evening forbidden zone between 7 and 9 p.m. I forbid you to nap in this zone. Who comes up with these names? <laughs> not me. These later evening naps can disrupt your regular sleep quantity and quality, which I'll touch on in a bit, but most studies seem to indicate that naps after 4 p.m. should be avoided. As far as optimal nap duration, a 5, 10, 20, and 30 minute nap, as well as no nap, were used to determine if brief naps were as effective as longer naps. They showed that the 10, 20, and 30 minute naps produced improvements in cognitive performance and alertness, while the 5 minute nap and no nap conditions did not. Moreover, the 10 minute nap showed immediate benefits, while the 20 and 30 minute naps led to initially to sleep inertia, but then produced benefits after the inertia subsided. But three hours post nap, there were no differences among all five conditions. Now, longer naps around the 90 minute mark could have extra benefits compared to shorter naps because you're diving deeper into those deep sleep stages. Either way, a 10 to 20 minute regular nap between 1 and 4 p.m. seemed to be optimal, and if you have time for 90 minutes, then that could have extra benefits too. But despite my findings and attempts at regular naps, I rarely do it anymore. First, the outcomes of napping on performance and health are a little mixed. Although the immediate results of napping can be positive, improved motor and cognitive function, reduced fatigue, these positive results are not long lasting and seem to dissipate after a couple of hours. In no way does a nap replace a good night's sleep. Second, excessive daytime napping can have a negative impact on the quality and quantity of nighttime sleep and give rise to a cycle of poor sleep. This is what has affected me the most. Throughout the day, as you're awake and expanding energy, you build up a chemical in your brain called adenosine. Adenosine can be thought of as a pressure to sleep. And as that balloon or pressure expands throughout your waking hours, the more pressure you'll feel to sleep. Then at night, once you get that nice long bout of high quality sleep, the balloon deflates again by the morning and the process starts all over. But taking naps can relieve some of this sleep pressure. Then at night, you might not have that same pressure to sleep, making it more difficult to fall and stay asleep. This is definitely what I've experienced and can lead to a poor night's sleep, which can then make you more likely to nap the next day, and this cycle continues. Instead, I do my best to stay awake throughout the day and focus on getting one bout of high-quality sleep at night. So here are my final thoughts. The optimal nap depends on many factors that I didn't cover, like individual sleep need, timing of sleep-wake schedule, morning and evening tendencies, quality of sleep during the preceding night, quality of sleep during the nap, and amount of prior wakefulness. And the benefits of naps will depend on these factors. But for most adults interested in regular napping to reduce fatigue and boost performance, a 10 to 20 minute nap between 1 and 4 p.m. appears best. But for me, I avoid naps because they decrease my pressure to sleep at night, making it harder to fall asleep and stay asleep. Thanks for joining me on the My Health Sciences Weekly Podcast, where I bring you topics to improve your health and happiness through sustainable, evidence-based, healthy habit change. If you'd like to receive weekly updates on the three most important things I've read, watched, and listened to within the past week, sign up for the My Health Sciences Weekly Newsletter. Those on this list will never miss any of the latest and most important information I share about health and happiness. Thanks again, and I look forward to talking with you again next week.